the judge is like, no, we're not going to do that. She's like, no, I really, really need to. I really need to. Fine. So they take a break. She doesn't go back to the prosecutor's office to get direction on what to do. Instead, she goes and files the same charges that that judge just said they were dismissing with a different judge, comes back into the courtroom, dismisses the entire case, and tries to try the case again with a different judge. So she's Wait. just shopping this around to see like who will let her can, do whatever she wants to but do. you can't do that. No, can you? you can't do that. So <laughs> she ends up getting this ethics violation against this. This is a real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 So how did how did your day go? All right, I guess I'm helping students match them with campaigns to intern over the summer. So hearing them talk about why they want to work in politics is you know interesting. All your all your students are going to work in politics. Uh, all my students in this class over the summer, because it's a class about working in politics. So mm. yeah. they're all, yeah. you know, new enough to not be jaded and disillusioned. <laughs> I, I've gotten a little bit jaded. I don't know if I'm jaded or just severely depressed still about 2021. I, my, I, I'm all shook up still. I know. I've, I just spent a weekend watching Wedge Live interviews. and uh, Oh, do I seem sad? <laughs> you seem very sad. Yeah. I mean, I'm sad too. Like, you know, we got the worst of all outcomes for a mayor and, you know, two terrible ballot initiatives, you know, but. A couple of, a couple of duds uh, on the city council. Oh, certainly. But, you know, we also got Elliot, which is great. Yeah. Ward Ward one got an upgrade and somehow the rest of us got a downgrade. (laughs) Why are we going in two different directions? You know, we suffered for a long time. (laughs) <laughs> it's true. It was our time to get something good for ourselves for once. <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to officially introduce the show now. Oh, okay. So prepare yourself. And, and <laughs> I know you spent all day being very nervous about this, which I'm, I'm kind of flattered by that you would be nervous to come on the Wedge Live podcast. I am a sweaty mess right now. Yeah. I, I'm glad that I'm in my living room by myself. In the dark. <laughs> it's actually quite light in here. Like you can't, I understand that you can't tell that, but it, it is, it's, it's not dark. <laughs> this is the Wedge Live podcast. I'm your host, John Edwards. My guest today is Kathleen Cole. We're going to talk about the race, the hotly contested race for Hennepin County attorney. I, I'm kind of excited about this, although I go into every episode nervous that I won't have anything to say because it's, I don't know, politics, there's so much that goes into local politics. You can't know everything. And so you have to rely on and talk to people who know more than you. And sometimes that's not a candidate because I spent five hours talking to five candidates, mm-hmm. five hours plus, And I have vague notions of how they're different, superficial ideas. I know what their jobs have been. And I, like, I have some opinions, but I don't know if I could explain in a coherent way, in a compelling way, what, 
how are they different? You know? Are you expecting me to so, do that? I am expecting <laughs> you to come on and oh, make no. people feel like they know a little a little more right. about these candidates. Yeah, yeah. And I know Kathleen is here with uh People Over Prosecution, right? That's the name of the group, yeah. which comes out of uh Recall Freeman. What do we not what do we not like about Mike Freeman, the incumbent Hennepin County attorney? What do, where did we go wrong with him? Oh, so much. I mean, we could do the whole episode just about that. I mean, Mike Freeman has um, routinely acted as a defense attorney for police when he's supposed to prosecute them. And that's what got us started as Recall Freeman um, when we were that iteration of this work, um, you know, because we saw what happened uh, with previous cases like Jamar Clark's case in 2015, where it was really, really clear that the officers had done um, some pretty indefensible things and you know shot Jamar Clark within seconds of being on site. Um, and you know he defended them when he was supposed to be holding them accountable. And we've seen that in a bunch of cases since then. And then with George Floyd, it was um, you know, on video, we could see everything that had happened. And, you know, in addition to that, he's run his uh, Hennepin County Attorney's Office in ways that are, um, you know, not in the interest of public safety. They're more about um, vengeance and winning cases, even if they're not good cases to bring forward. Um, and then on top of that, he has, um, you know, refused basic questions about accountability and transparency. Folks want to know uh, things about his office that he refuses to make public. And, you know, as a democratically elected official, like, he has an obligation to make those things public because he's representing us in that office. And so I think when it comes to accountability, transparency, um, you know, racial justice issues, he's just you know, like utterly failed. And um, we're really excited about this possibility in this moment because we have an open seat, which um, means that there's a lot more possibility for getting someone new in who's going to be transformative. And that's what we're hoping is going to happen in 2022. Uh, should we talk a little bit about why prosecutors are important? There's been kind of a movement in recent years to elect progressive prosecutors. And tell us why that is important, why we should do it here. And, and St. Paul, I think, has a progressive prosecutor, right? Well, certainly he's more progressive than Mike Freeman. Um, and, you know, progressive is a scale, right? And yeah. John Choi is definitely more progressive than Mike Freeman. But I think there are folks who would say that he's not as progressive as they would like him to be. Um, but when Mike Freeman is the comparison, he looks quite, quite progressive. Um, and to get to the first question, I mean, the reason prosecutors are important is because they have nearly total discretion. And they get to decide who gets charged in cases, what kinds of charges they, they get, whether someone gets bail, whether someone gets pretrial diversion, um, you know, at every point in the process, the prosecutor has discretion and the, the Hennepin County attorney, that's the person who's setting the policy that all the line attorneys use when they're charging cases. And so like this one office, if you care about ending mass incarceration in the state of Minnesota, this is the single most important race this year. We actually don't need to replace the governor. We don't need to win a progressive majority in the House, in the Minnesota House and Senate 
to have serious impacts on the number of folks going to prison out of Hennepin County if we can win this one seat. Um, and we know that we're not going to get meaningful uh, legislative change out of the state capitol. There are, uh, the, sen the Senate is controlled by the Republicans. There are too many law and order Democrats who are um, you know, running on supporting cops and harsh punishments. And so there's no possibility for us to do something really transformative coming out of the Minnesota State Capitol. Um, but we can have really transformative policies come out of the Hennepin County Attorney's Office. And it would make a huge difference. Nearly 30% of all the people who go to, who are currently incarcerated in Minnesota prisons, their county of commitment was Hennepin. So that means they were tried in Hennepin and convicted in Hennepin. And that's a lot of people in the state of Minnesota. So if we could get someone transformational in that office who would really change policies, who would really um, hold police accountable, who would you know, deal with violence as a public health issue and, and think about it in terms of trauma and healing, um, we could massively impact the number of people who are going to prison out of the Hennepin County system. Um, and that would be a huge win. And it only takes this one office because that prosecutor has that much power. So what's the low hanging fruit that we're not getting? What, what, where are some common sense things that we don't currently get from our Hennepin County attorney that could like, I don't want to make it seem like it's a yeah. magic trick. You elect somebody new and it changes overnight, right, but right. what are some, are there basic things that you can tell people and their their lights will their their eyes will flash and they'll go oh okay I I get now why this is important that's a big change we could make just by electing this one person yeah I mean so one thing is we could just refuse to prosecute low level drug offenses there's no reason for folks who have you know drugs for personal use to spend time in prison and they're doing serious time and. We also know under Freeman that it's been really, really racially discriminatory in terms of who is doing serious time for having, you know, mostly cannabis. Um, and that's something that, you know, on day one, someone transformer to go in and change. I think another thing that we don't think about enough with the Hennepin County Attorney's Office is how due process, right? Like the folks who are being represented by public defenders um, you know, they have huge caseloads, the public defenders, and the prosecutors have huge caseloads, too. And there's a tremendous incentive um, for po folks to just get processed through the system as quickly as possible. Um, so there's a lot of pressure to get people to just plea out and to, um, you know, not force a jury trial. And, you know, one of the things that happens in that process is that um, the prosecutor's office, they're supposed to share evidence um, when there's evidence that would benefit the defendant, right? This is what's referred to as like Brady requirements. And what's happened in Hennepin County uh, under Mike Freeman is they have a Brady policy, but they won't share what that Brady policy is. So we as the public don't get to know um, the decisions that are being made about when line attorneys have to turn over exculpatory evidence and they're withholding it they're not giving defense attorneys the evidence they need that are re that's relevant to their cases so they could have evidence that would likely show that the defendant isn't guilty right or that there was some kind of um 
like officer misbehavior that would discredit the whole case. And they're not turning that over. And so we have folks who are going to, to prison who shouldn't be, right? Either because there's good evidence that would make us question whether they did the thing or that there's good evidence that the police have behaved in some unethical way in gathering evidence about this person. And both of those things would make tremendous differences in terms of racial disparities, but also the justness of our criminal justice system. And that's something that could change immediately, day one, with somebody who cared about making those changes. So on on the topic of low-level drug crimes, I was talking to Paul Ostro on the podcast, and I really... He is very seductive. I enjoy him. I had a good time with him. We had a good conversation. And I don't know if it's just his personality to like agree with you and make himself uh, seem reasonable or if he really is the most reasonable man in Minneapolis. I don't know what the answer is. But one thing he wouldn't budge on was the idea of using his discretion to not prosecute low-level drug crimes. And it kind of feels like a gimme question like of course of course i won't i'll use my discretion in that case and i noticed it again with him on the abortion question like he's like i'm pro-choice but it's the law i mean i have to prosecute that and i it's hard not to think about all those crimes crimes are happening every day all around us and they're not being prosecuted and we don't notice them because nobody's being hurt and i i our our law enforcement system is using its discretion to not prosecute those crimes because we we don't prioritize them. Nobody's being hurt. Low level drug crimes kind of seem like one of those. And one of the things Paul Ostro said to to me was that well, getting people in the system gets them help. We have this system with all these resources to help people, and just getting them into the the criminal justice system is a way to get them help. And I'm a little skeptical of that. Uh. But that's my Paul Ostro story. Do I have a question there that you want to respond to? <laughs> well, you have some ideas that I'd like to respond to in there. And yeah, go. A few of them, so I'll kind of take them in order. And I think that, like, you know, in terms of people over prosecution, he wrote back to us when we sent out our candidate survey to survey everybody and said he wouldn't answer our survey questions because he's not seeking our endorsement and he's not seeking anyone's endorsement. And I heard him say on your podcast, I've heard him say this at forums and stuff that, you know, he shouldn't take sides between the right and the left. And that, you know, this is an apolitical office. And I think that, you know, you called him the most reasonable man in Minneapolis. I think there are a lot of people that to them that sounds reasonable and it sounds commendable. It's like, oh, great, he's not going to take sides. But like for us at People Over Prosecution, this stands out as the kind of polite, moderate political rhetoric that actually makes the maintenance of racial disparities in Minnesota possible. Whether he likes it or not, this is a political office. Like the decisions that the Hennepin County attorney is gonna make every single day, they have political consequences and they're informed by a political worldview. So it's, it's just, he can't ignore it or wish it away. It is a political office and pretending it's not is really, really dangerous because what it does, it is it obscures all the ways that the Hennepin County Attorney's Office is making decisions every day about who matters in our community, who has rights, who has, you know, deserves due process. And, you know, Paul Ostro is a status quo candidate. He wants to continue a lot of the processes under and policies under Freeman that have been super damaging. So he supports cash bail, which you rightly pointed out to him, effectively says that like, 
you know, rich people can get out of get out and be free while they're a writing child. But if you're poor, you have to stay in prison, even though you haven't been convicted of anything. He won't do a Brady list, right? He, which means he's not willing to hold police who lie and routinely abuse their power accountable. Um, he's publicly committed to not prosecuting police <laughs> when they break the law because he says that discipline is the right solution. But like, we know that cops don't discipline themselves, right? Like. Cops don't discipline cops, even when they kill people. And if we can't trust the Hennepin County attorney to hold folks accountable, like to hold the police accountable specifically, then we know that like cops aren't going to be held accountable. And you mentioned the low level drug offenses. And what's interesting about how he answers that question, and I've heard him answer it a couple of times, both you know, on your podcast and then the recent um, forum that they did with the American Constitutional Society, and whenever the question is asked, the question is asked about low-level drug offenses, which folks tend to think about that in terms of cannabis, right? Like pot use and like communities of color, because we know it's communities of color that get targeted for enforcement. But what he does in his answer every time is he pivots to fentanyl, right? And he's like, well, fentanyl, you know, it's all these overdoses and you know, we have to care about that. And I have, we have to process that because we have all these fentanyl overdoses. And he's not wrong that fentanyl is dangerous. Like it is, that's right. <laughs> but you've solved the overdose problem by taking a public health approach, giving people kits to test their drugs to make sure there's not fentanyl in them, enforcing racially discriminatory cannabis enforcement on black and brown communities does nothing to solve the fentanyl overdose problem. And like this pivot is really um, important in the way that he talks about the argument because he sidesteps the criticism of, you know, cannabis enforcement in black and brown communities and makes it about this thing that is a public health issue. And he could separate those out. He could say, well, for cannabis, I won't because it's not a public health issue and for fentanyl, I don't. But instead he's kind of using fentanyl as a shield for a larger policy that is harmful and it's especially harmful to communities of color. And then you also mentioned up the abortion piece. Um, you know, he was asked at the forum, the ACS forum, if, you know, Roe becomes, uh, you know, if abortion becomes illegal and Roe fails, you know, will you prosecute? And every single candidate on the stage, except for him, said, I said that they would decline to prosecute. And he said, well, I'd have to. And like, this gets back to this, oh, follow the law approach and how it's harmful because every day they make decisions about how to use the resources of the Hennepin County Attorney's Office. What is worth prosecuting and what isn't worth prosecuting, right? right. And every other candidate got up there and said, oh, I wouldn't use, <laughs> I wouldn't use the resources to prosecute this. And he wouldn't make that commitment. And, you know, it is a political question. It is, it's a political question he's being asked. He's running for a political office. And to try to sidestep that, it's, I mean, for us, it's it's a non-starter. I'm going to defend Paul for a moment, and I'm going to say he answered the abortion question by saying, I'd have to think long and hard. So he left it open because me and Paul are podcast buddies. Yeah, so he left nice it open, but he didn't make a commitment to do the right thing. You know, it, it's such it's such a softball question. Like, of course, I'm not going to prosecute these anti-abortion laws coming out of a right-wing legislature. Of course, I'm not going to prosecute that. I have discretion and I won't do it. Yeah. And I mean, I think this goes back to this, you know, trying to be the most reasonable person in the room thing. Well, 
you're not actually being the most reasonable person in the room. You're pretending your decisions aren't political. And when you're pretending your decisions aren't political, what you're doing is just enforcing the status quo. And if the new normal is in a post-Roe world is going to be women can be prosecuted for having abortions, then he'll go along with that potentially. And that, I mean, he has to become comfortable with the fact that this is a political office he's running for, whether he wants it to be or not. Yeah. Paul, if you're listening, I know you are. The the whole I'm above politics thing is so irritating to all of us. <laughs> and it's just dishonest. I mean, frankly, it's dishonest. These are political decisions. They're grounded in political beliefs about who has value, about what our community norms are and how we should treat each other. And when you pretend they're not, I mean, it's just it's a dishonest answer. Yeah. Should we go through all the candidates? At what point in the show will we reveal who your organi- organization is endorsing. Hey, um, anytime you ask. <laughs> okay. I, I want to go through the candidates first so that our so that our bias does not show until the end. Sure, sure. How's that? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I could talk about the differences between them without being pretty clear about where we as an organization stand on them, but um, I'm happy to talk about them in whatever order you want to talk about them. You know who scares me? Can you guess which candidate scares me to death? There are a couple scary ones. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, can I admit that I like them all, except for one? Certainly. You can admit whatever you want. <laughs> <Okay>. It's your show. <laughs> uh, I, I want to talk about the one who scares me. Okay. And it was a, a question about immigration at the forum. Mm. Martha Holton Dimmick, yeah. who used to be a prosecutor, mm-hmm. uh, was a judge up until recently. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And so the question was about... Will you use, will you take into consideration the impacts mm-hmm. to someone's immigration status in your prosecutorial decisions? Didn't say like in X kind of case, it was just, will you take immigration yeah. status into account? Right. And she went immediately to rapes, robberies, and assaults. And I'll, I'll read the quote. Yeah. Um, I think whether you're an immigrant or not, I don't think that should be specially, there should be any special considerations. And I'll tell you why. The immigration uh, issues that I've run across, not only um, as a judge, but but as a prosecutor, they're violent crimes that they're committing. I'm talking now, I don't need you to shake your head. Um, They're violent crimes that they actually are um, committing. They're rapes, they're ag robberies, they're assaults. That those cases have to be prosecuted to the extent of the law. You have to consider the facts and the law. That that her mind immediately went to how violent uh, criminals are. That that she's these cases that she's aware of was a red flag to me. It reminded me of someone else, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Trumpian. Her answer is super Trumpian, and. Like that is one small thing to be concerned about in a larger pattern of unethical um, and frankly, like (laughs) illegal, like not following the law (laughs) um, history in her career. And we can get into some of those cases if you want to. But I mean, basically, our position is that she is just manifestly unfit to serve as the Hennepin County attorney. I would agree. That's the yeah. kind of red flag that makes you run away. Well, based on her record as a judge, it it seems pretty clear that the rules don't apply to her, and yet they should be really, really harshly applied to other people. So it seems like for Martha Holton Dimmick, if you're in a position of power, you know you can do whatever you want, and if you're relatively powerless, you you need to obey. 
And as a judge, her decisions were reversed a lot. And some people don't realize like what a big deal that is. Um, but when you're, when you get reversed, like it means you have, you've done something wrong here. You have like made a decision in an incorrect way. And sometimes it's a technical error, but what's really interesting about Martha Holton Dimmick is that when she gets reversed, it's not a technical error. It's not just like a misapplication of the law. Um, she just straight up disregards the law and disregards her ethical obligations. And she's done that in a number of cases. And I don't know if you want to talk about any of those cases. We certainly can. Um, there are a couple that I think are really worth people knowing about. Um, recently, there was one called, uh, one, you can look it up, it's O'Brien. And in this one, you have this 70-year-old guy, and he's had a few DWI cases, and he's um, on probation. And he comes before the judge, and she's going to revoke his probation. And the probation board, like what they ask for is something like a hundred, I think it was like 180 days in treatment or something like that. Now, he hasn't violated the condition of his probation, which is the drinking and driving piece, right? Like that's what he, that's what his case was about was drinking and driving. Um, he has been drinking, right? And so they want him to, you know, have to go to treatment. But the condition of parole is around, or probation rather, was around drinking and driving. There's no evidence anywhere in the file that he drove. None. None was submitted ever. She decided without any of it evidence that he must have driven somewhere um, and revoked his probation. And the reason that she gave for revoking his probation was if this gets out in the media, then and you do something in the future, then I'm going to be the one who faces scrutiny. So it's not the fact. Did she write? She said this. Did she you write can, that down? You can read it in the it court transcript. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is ultimately why it got reversed. And it's important to note the timeline of this. Like, this happened around the time that she would have been deciding to run for this office. So, I mean, this is a real serious problem. And that's not even the wildest case. There's this other one called Mosby. Where, Wait before before we get into that, sure. I just want to say that's a, that's a lesson to Paul Ostro that everything is political. <laughs> Take a lesson from Martha Holton Dimmick. Yeah. Judges are thinking about politics all the time. Yeah, I mean they're not supposed okay. to be, and she says this right, and so she actually gets reversed because number one, there's no evidence this guy violated his his probation, um, and then number two, like you don't get to make laws based on how the media might treat you. That's or make rulings rather. Like that's right. just not how the law works. So this other one, and this one is wild. It's like, it's it's crazy. So she gets an ethics complaint against this, but this is the Mosby case. And so she wants to try this guy, uh, Mosby, right, for this, um, for a series of charges. And before they select the jury, uh, the judge dismisses one of the charges and says, you can't go forward with this one. So she says to the judge, oh, I need to take a break. I need to go and talk to my office uh, about how to proceed if I can't charge this thing. Um, this is back when she's a prosecutor rather than a judge. And so she, they, the judge is like, no, we're not going to do that. She's like, no, I really, really need to. I really need to. Fine. So they take a break. She doesn't go back to the prosecutor's office to get direction on what to do. Instead, she goes and files the same charges that that judge just said they were dismissing with a different judge, comes back into the courtroom, dismisses the entire case, and 
tries to try the case again with a different judge. So she's Wait. just shopping this around to see like who will let her can, do whatever she wants to but do. You can't do that. No, can you? you can't do that. So <laughs> she ends up getting this ethics violation against this. Um, and this is like not even that those aren't just those are just two examples. There's more. The Minnesota Supreme Court like overturned one of her convictions. Like it went all the way to the Minnesota Supreme Court and they overturned it because they found she wasn't impartial. She was discriminatory to a person who was in front of her. I mean, like she has a long and established record of, you know, doing things that are unethical and not following the law. And side note for folks who follow Minneapolis politics, Joe Rudinovich, who is probably most famous for running mm. a dishonest and unethical campaign for our dishonest and unethical mayor, had played a huge role in setting up her campaign. And it's his protege that's running it now. And I don't know, I think who you work with in politics says a lot about your values. And the fact that she's working with someone like Joe Rudinovich, who is a known liar who doesn't think the rules apply to him. I mean, that just yeah. compounds her history of unethical behavior in the courts. So I get what you're saying about Joe Rudinovich, yeah. but, but, and I know we talked about this earlier and I said, I think this reflects poorly on Joe Rudinovich and I have a, an extremely low opinion of him <laughs> you that, know, he would, that he would work with her. I think this is bad news for Joe Rudinovich. Uh, I, I think they're just two of a kind. I, I couldn't, it would be difficult for me to say one is worse than the other. They seem well matched to me. And that's a problem. <laughs> like, that's a real serious problem to me. We'll be right back after a brief message from our sponsor. Taylor, you like wrestling, don't you? Sure. <laughs> well, you're in luck because our sponsor is Dispatch. With reports from the Minneapolis and St. Paul arts and culture scene, Dispatch has recommendations for live music, film screenings, tap room parties, even local pro wrestling and read interviews with the people who make our city such a fun place to live. Grab Dispatch's print editions at First Avenue Venues, the Wiseman Art Museum, Can Can Wonderland, St. Paul Brewing, and other locations, and sign up for their newsletter at dispatchmsp.com. That's dispatchmsp.com. Do you like wrestling, by the way? I mean... You're just putting that on for the ad. Yeah. Okay. okay. But still, Dispatch MSP, it's great. Which candidate do you want to take next? I'll let you decide. Well, I think maybe the next person to talk about is Ryan Winkler. Okay. The House majority leader. Mm -hmm. I don't mess with state politics, but I think that's what his his job title is, right? Yeah, that's what he's doing at the House now. He's the House majority leader. Uh, DFL. Mm -hmm. I I also, so he's a little stiff, and I'm going to give you the superficial review of Ryan Winkler. (laughs) Sure. But, like, he came on the podcast. We had a conversation. It was cordial. He answered my questions in a a straightforward manner. So thank you, Ryan Winkler, for coming on the podcast. Yeah. What do you think about Ryan Winkler? And he doesn't even, he doesn't seem conservative, like a hardline law and order guy. I think he, he's making nods to progress. He's definitely like not the progressive in the race, but he's making nods like we need to reform the system, I think. Well, just to put that into context, 
Mike Freeman made those same nods in 2018 when he said he was going to reform his own office that he was in charge of. And I mean, Winkler is going to be Freeman 2.0. Like that's just what's going to happen. And I'm happy to like walk through why that's the case. Like, Let's do that. But let's rank Ostro or Winkler. Who is more Freeman 2.0? Ooh. If it's too close, you don't have to make the call. I'm gonna, you know, I think it's it's Winkler is more by like a hair. I would say, like it's a it's a okay. it's a tight race there. But I think Winkler, uh, when I get through the whole rationale, <laughs> I think it'll be clear why. So first, Winkler is just wildly unqualified for this position. He's never in his life practiced criminal law. He's no idea how the Hennepin County Attorney's Office actually functions. He's never tried a case. And so it's it's laughable that we would put him in charge of the biggest public law office in our state, like more than 120 attorneys. A lot of people don't realize how insane it is for him to think he's qualified for this office because they don't understand how lawyering works. And our organization, we've been talking to a lot of people, like really good, really smart people, good values. And they genuinely don't understand how wildly unqualified he is because they think all lawyers do the same work. And it's just not true. Like (laughs) there are different universes of law um, and they work differently. Like you have different expertise for different kinds of work. So like what Ryan Winkler did before becoming a state legislature he did contract law. So what that means, like he was doing corporate law. He was every day going to work, reviewing contracts and ensuring compliance with rules and regulations. Like his job was not standing in front of a a jury. He's not arguing cases. He isn't interacting with criminal law. What he's doing is passing around paperwork so a corporation can make a lot of money. That's the job. So what to what degree is this like a policy, like managerial role and like you must have been a lawyer type role? Are we electing a mayor of the prosecutors? <laughs> it's like, hey, come on, prosecutors, we're going to go in this direction now. You all know more than me. You do it. Is it really that vital that someone have been uh, a prosecutor or tried a lot of cases either as a public defender or a defense attorney or a prosecutor, how vital is that for the top prosecutor job? Oh, vital, vital. And I'll talk about why that's the case in a minute in more detail. But like, if you want to make transformational changes and like our organization is just fundamentally premised on the idea that we need transformational changes, like that has to happen in Hennepin County if we're going to have justice. Um, You need someone who actually understands what has occurred, where the problems are, um, you know, what are the obstacles to fixing those things. And as a corporate lawyer who, you know, did paperwork for a pharmaceutical corporation, that's just not what he knows. And it's really, really important that you have experience because whoever is elected the next county attorney, like if you go in and you have no experience and Winkler's not the only one with no experience, but if you go in and you have no experience whatsoever, you're going to have to rely on the middle management there. You know, the people who are just underneath Freeman, right? They're going to be running the show. And the people who are there, those are folks who've been with Freeman a long time. They agree with his policies. Um, they're not people who are just going to like, um, 
listen to some guy who has no idea what he's talking about because he's never practiced criminal law. And these right, are you're going to be leaning, leaning heavily on the existing stuff. To what degree do you have freedom to bring in your own people at the top when you are elected Hennepin County attorney? Is that just not something that's done? Like you go in and you inherit those top level prosecutors? You go in and you inherit a staff. I mean, you can hire new folks, but they also have to be qualified in criminal law. You can, I mean, and there's no, right. you can't, <laughs> for him to go in and think that he's going to get these people to fall in line. These are folks who are responsible for the policies that have been so harmful for communities of color that have emboldened, emboldened the police to lie and to use violence and know they won't be held accountable. The idea that you're going to be able to be some kind of like reformer change maker when you rely on them every day to do the work while you're learning on the job criminal law. I mean, it's just it's not going to happen. So you really do need someone to who actually understands the job, who has experience. And that's just not him. And that should worry us because then it's like, well, if he doesn't know what he's doing, then why is he running? And the reason he's running is because he wants to be able to run for statewide office. And this positions him well to do it. You know, Amy Klobuchar, before she became our senator, she was, you know, the Hennepin County attorney. Freeman also tried to use this as a launch pad. So he ran for attorney general. He ran for governor. He didn't win any of those things. But that's what Winkler's trying to do here. He's not running because he has great ideas about how to fix the Hennepin County attorney's office. He's running because he knows that in a state that's 80% white, like mini, like Minnesota, you know, running as a prosecutor who's like held the bad guys accountable is a really great way to win votes, right? Like being tough on crime, we know, is a really great way to win the votes of white folks. And so there's a tremendous incentive for him to go in and continue the kinds of policies that Freeman has, and frankly, that Amy Klobuchar had. So there's nothing that would indicate, one, that he's going to want to make changes because the incentive structure isn't there for him to do it, or two, that he would even know how to because he doesn't have any of the expertise to do it. And the you know cops are giving him money. What? What do you uh, think? I think this is another lesson for Paul Ostro that everything is about politics. Everything is about even politics. In- even when we're electing prosecutors. Yeah, I mean, especially when we're electing people. That's like politics. <laughs> we're electing you. Was was Mike Freeman a prosecutor uh, prior to... He had two stints as Hennepin County Attorney at different times, yeah, right? Yeah, he, he had a while, and then he took time off to run for statewide office, and Amy Klobuchar got elected, and then he came back after her. So he served, I think, all of 20, something close to 20 years, but over like a 30-year period. Was he initially a politician before uh, running the first time for Hennepin County Attorney? Ooh, that's a really good question. I don't know. You have to please please consult Mike Freeman's Wikipedia entry. Yeah, I haven't uh, done that. If you're listening, Freeman was elected to the Minnesota Senate in 1982, representing the old District 40, which included the city of Richfield and a portion of Bloomington in Hennepin County. I do know that his dad was governor, um, and when we were trying to recall him. It was interesting because no one ever said to us, you can't recall Mike Freeman. He's good at his job. They said, you can't recall Mike Freeman. His dad was the governor. <laughs> I thought, well, that's a really <laughs> weird reason for us to have to keep him in this position. His dad can be the it governor. Was the person who told you that Mike Freeman? Was the person <laughs> no, who told you. no. You can't recall me. My dad was the governor. <laughs> no, it was a whole bunch of other people said that to us. It was really weird. We're, we are 37 minutes in. We should 
You know what that means? We're going to talk about Simon Troutman. Oh. You have opinions about Simon Troutman. Yes. Also a very nice man. He has an office yeah. in Elliott Park, his mm-hmm. law office, a uh, Richfield City Council member. Yeah. Uh, do we? How do we feel about his experience? Is he experienced enough in your estimation? No. No. I mean, he's a nonprofit lawyer. And, you know, what he's done is for his work, supporting communities of color, through his practice has been great and he's built important relationships in the community, but it's not a substitute for experience in criminal law. And he doesn't have the intimate knowledge of how the Hennepin County Attorney's Office has operated. And so all the same structural problems that we have, what we would have under Ryan Winkler of him, you know, relying on these people who are in charge who like don't want to make the changes, you know, or the middle management who won't want to make changes, like all of that is still there. Um, You know, even though I think we think his motivations are better than Ryan Winkler's, like, you know, we got the impression that Simon Troutman really does want to make things better. Um, And he talks a lot about um, reckoning and repair. But when you ask him about like, what are the actionable steps we would have to take to get to reckoning and repair, his answers are, are really vague and, that's a problem for us because like we want someone who goes in and knows day one, here's what you do. (laughs) Like these are the steps here. Here's the way this office has been harming people. And here's how you change those things. And that's just not Simon. I wonder if the standard you're setting, does that mean that like it has to be either a prosecutor or like somebody who's led a a public defender's office? And we're just dancing around the fact that uh, your organization is endorsing Mary Moriarty, but like (laughs) Is the standard you're setting that like only prosecutors can do this? Only someone who's led a large like public law office can do this job? Is that the standard? I think the standard is that you have to have some kind of relevant experience, right? And, um, you know, if there was somebody who had run a huge law office um, and had really good values and wasn't... Um, you know, and and maybe had never been a prosecutor, but they had a lot of managerial experience. They had some other relevant experience, but none of the other folks other than Mary, and yeah, we are endorsing Mary, surprise, surprise. Um, (laughs) But none of them have the, any of the components of necessary, like the things that would make someone good at that job. And that's, I mean, we, you can't get past that. Like, You know, there's, and then also who can win, right? Like the only two candidates that we really see as viable candidates in this race are Ryan and Mary. Like it's either going to be Winkler or it's going to be Mary Moriarty. Like those are the two paths that are open right now. And that also influences our decision. And, you know, there just isn't a path for Simon. And we thought he was great. We think he's done great work on Richfield City Council and we hope he'll stay in that important role. That's like a really great place for him to be doing the things that he's doing. But, you know, Hennepin County Attorney's Office just isn't the place. Okay, Saraswati Singh. How do we feel about candidate Saraswati Singh? She's a, a Ramsey County prosecutor. Yeah. Went to Bronx High School of Science, which is a fact I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. She was very excited you knew that about her. Very smart. I I I read up the bio. It's <laughs> yeah. it's something to brag about. That is a really nationally renowned high school. Totally. It produces a lot of Nobel Prize winners. Yeah. I was surprised somebody went from science into prosecuting. Yeah. 
Well, and with a stop in politics in between, right? So she, I think she worked on, uh, didn't she say the Clinton right. campaign and stuff like that? So yeah, how do we how do we feel? We liked we liked Sir Swati, um, and thought she seemed like a really great person, um, but she's not familiar with what has happened in Hennepin County, and she is clearly an expert in how John Choi does things, and she had a lot to say about John Choi's office and their policies. Um, but it doesn't seem to us that she's aware of all the ways that Freeman was frankly more harmful and racist than John Choi. And we need someone who understands the scale and scope of the problem in the Hennepin County Attorney's Office in order to be able to actually change it. And she doesn't have any experience managing a staff. You know, that was another reason with the Troutman, no experience managing a staff whatsoever. Um, there is a point in his, your interview with him where he tries to say that he controls the budget of Richfield and all of the employees in the city of Richfield report to him, but that's not how city councils work, you know? Like, really? Yeah, it was, really? A, it was a really weird thing. Yeah, it was. A oh, very... Sometimes I don't listen during the interviews. <laughs> I should have caught that. Yeah, I listened to it. I was like, that's, <laughs> that's not your role, man. I, I think that those folks do not report to you on a daily basis, but... Anyway, yeah, they, they, maybe they have like a city manager. It's probably yeah. even less powerful than Minneapolis City Council. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Richfield think? City Council, but you're not that powerful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you need someone who has experience managing a staff. And unfortunately, Sir Swati doesn't. And one of the things that was deeply like impactful for us was that in our screener with her, you know, when we met with her and talked about, you know, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? Often we would ask questions about specific policy changes. And she would respond with a personal story. And it was an inspiring personal story. And she was very personable. And um, she, you know, emoted and did all the right things in terms of like making a connection with folks. Um, but she didn't actually connect her answers back to policy and like, what are the problems? And what do you see as the solutions? And we just, we have to have somebody who understands like the history of what's happened at Hennepin County. And, um, why it's been so harmful and where the problems are in the office in order to be able to fix them. Okay. That, I think that leaves us with one, one candidate left. It does. <laughs> it does. It leaves us with Mary. Mary, Mary Moriarty. Oh my gosh. Here, I'm going to try to move this light because it's getting so dark in my house. What can you say about Mary? I mean, uh, uh, led the Hennepin County Public Defender's Office. The, she refers to it as the second largest public law office in the state, I think. Yeah, that's right. One, one thing I noticed, and I wasn't expecting, uh, at the Senate District 61 convention, very well received. Mm -hmm. And my impression of that crowd was it's a bunch of older white people yeah. in southwest Minneapolis. Not not my crowd. <laughs> not not progressive firebrands, really. <laughs> she was, I'm not old yet, yeah. <laughs> Eventually, I will be a 65-year-old white person in Southwest Minneapolis, but not yet. Yeah. Surprisingly well-received in Southwest Minneapolis. And I think that has to do with the, she's very sharp, like intimidatingly sharp. She is more prepared than you at all times. Mm -hmm. She gives me that impression. Yeah. Uh, and over the years, you have seen her point out problems with the Minneapolis Police Department mm -hmm. in a way that I would be eager to see from the next Hennepin County attorney. So there's some, there's some very good points there. Yeah. I mean, clearly the city of Minneapolis isn't going to do anything about it. Uh, we can't trust Jacob Fry and anyone he employs to care about. And it. unlike you, I don't have hate in my heart for the other candidates. I am, <laughs> I, <laughs> I am purely, 
I'm coming to this from a, an objective, I like everyone point of view. And I think Mary Moriarty kind of like stands out from the rest to me, although I have not officially endorsed anyone. I, yeah. I agree with your endorsement. Yeah, I if mean, you want to talk about why that is, why you've made the endorsement as an orc. First off, she's just hands down the most experienced, right? Like no one running against her has the kind of experience that she has. She is intimately aware of all the problems with the Hennepin County Attorney's Office because she has spent decades working on cases with them. Decades. She knows, she's seen, she knows exactly where the problems are. There's no part of the Hennepin County criminal justice system that she hasn't interacted with and thought deeply about. And to us, that's super important. Another thing that was really important for us in making the decision is that she's, she wants to be data-driven, right? She is really thinking about adolescent brain development and how that would guide policy. She's informed by a public health approach. She's thinking about trauma and cycles of violence and how do we interrupt those things to prevent crime rather than, you know, just putting people in prisons where there's more trauma, which, you know, in, extends the cycles of violence. One of the things that we especially love about Mary is that she fundamentally understands that you can have vengeance or you can have safety, but you cannot have both. And she prioritizes our community's safety over vengeance. And people, at people over prosecution, we believe that the desire for vengeance is nearly always rooted in white supremacy, and it's not what survivors actually want or ask for. And we think she shares that view. And she also understands that democracy requires transparency and accountability. And those are things we haven't had in the Hennepin County Attorney's Office. And she wants to make policy public, like specifically, she wants to make Brady policy public. And that would be such a huge change for defendants. If, you know, we knew what are the rules <laughs> that prosecutors are operating under um, when it comes to having to hand over this evidence, because it's clear that they're not handing over evidence when ethical requirements would say you really should be handing this over. She also understands that the people of Hennepin County are electing her to make decisions on their behalf. And so she's not going to farm things out to other places like Freeman has done to avoid accountability, which feels super important to us. She also staying on this accountability topic. She understands that justice requires actual accountability for the police when they lie or use violence or break the law. And she will direct police not to call officers who lie on the stand or have histories of abuse. And that's really important because it speaks to how she has this vision around justice and accountability across the whole system. Not accountability for some people, but accountability for all actors in the system. And, you know, she did, as you say, run the second biggest public law office in the state. And when she was in charge of that office, she was nationally recognized for her leadership and making it one of the best in the country. I don't know, she, she doesn't really talk about this much and I wish she would. When she ran that office, there were people, young lawyers from across the country applying, coming here, moving to Minneapolis because they, she's so well regarded and her leadership and management is so well respected nationally that people were moving here to Minnesota, this place with these winters, coming here and 
simply they were coming here because they wanted to work for her. And that's not happening now, now that she's not in that office. They cannot recruit like they used to. People want to work for her. Um, and, you know, she, more than any other candidate, she clearly understands the harms to communities of color and is motivated to address them because she's seen the racially disparate outcomes throughout her career. And unlike all the other candidates, she has a path to win. Um, she's doing really well in the suburbs. Like people seem to really respond to what she's saying, you know? Um, it's not just, you know, progressives in South Minneapolis. They're like those of us holding it down up here in Northeast Minneapolis. Like, like you said, like even in Southwest Minneapolis, like, you know, folks that you don't see as being as progressive as you, like they're getting on board and that's happening in the suburbs too. If you look at her endorsements on her website, it's like suburban leader after suburban leader after suburban leader. And, you know, I mean, she's building a really big coalition and that's what it's going to take to win that office because Winkler is going to have a lot of money. Um, he's already got money from police and their lawyers um, which indicates that they don't expect him to hold them accountable because they wouldn't be giving him money if Wait, they thought he was he's serious police about money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, c I come from Minneapolis where all candidates have realized that accepting police money is uh, the kiss of death. Yeah. He's, Winkler has a long so like history. Police of, union money. Yeah. And um, lawyers who represent police unions. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So the idea that he's going to come in and be this reformer is pretty unlikely. And, um, you know, Mary very clearly is like, and she's not running for higher office. She's not using this to get somewhere else. It's like, she's running for this office because she did everything she could in the other role that she had. And in order to level up and make the next set of changes that she can, like, this is the step. This is where we can get more justice. And for us, I mean, it's, it's, it's Mary and it's not even close. Let's go back to something you said a little bit ago about about prosecuting the police and who does it and the fact that Mike Freeman has farmed it out to other jurisdictions. We've seen some successful prosecutions from the attorney general, and I've asked a bunch of candidates about that. Like yeah. Keith Ellison won't always be there. He's not there in every case, only these these very high profile versions. And I've come to the to my own belief that I think we should trust the person we elect to handle that. I don't trust the Dakota County attorney, for example, right. to do that. I don't trust a grand jury process yeah. uh, in those cases. I think we should elect someone we trust to be, uh, you know, ethical and uphold our values as a community, as Hennepin County, and make the right decision. Like, I know you have to work with the, the argument seems to be, well, we have to work with the police and therefore we can't be unbiased. Uh, how, I mean, we, you can work with someone and also hold them accountable. I think. Yeah, you can, like, if you want to. There's awesome power that comes with carrying a gun and having the potential to like ruin someone's day or life. Uh, and we should have no problem holding police accountable in that role. I think we have seen a city that, that struggles to do that. And if we can have someone, a top prosecutor who can do that and like can say to the chief or the mayor, Hey, you had better do something about this. Or I tell the Minnesota reformer, I'm having a press conference <laughs> and telling the Minnesota reformer or something right. that all, all of these shenanigans are going on. 
I think is potentially very powerful. Yeah, I mean, it's a basic, you know, it's one of the basic arguments for democracy is that elections allow us to hold people accountable, right? If they, you know, you, you elect someone based on their platform, and then they get into office, and if they don't do what you want them to do, you're supposed to be able to remove them by elections, right? And so when Freeman farms this out to other people, it makes it so the voters of Hennepin County can't hold anyone accountable, right? And it going up to A.G. Ellison, I mean, maybe they voted for him, but ultimately, like, this is supposed to be decided by the Hennepin County attorney. That's why we elect this person, so that we have the accountability mechanism there. The only reason he's had to farm it out is because he has so thoroughly destroyed trust in that office. Um, For years of defending indefensible action by the cops, I mean, I don't know if y'all remember, I I was watching live when, um, in 2015, when, um, you know, he got up and said that he, like, you know, basically isn't prosecuting the cops for killing Jamar Clark. And, you know, he turned that whole press conference into a defense of those police officers. And, um, you know, with the, I don't know if you saw the charging documents for for, um, Derek Chauvin, we had them when we were still called Recall Freeman, we had them on our website and we had some um, defense lawyers actually annotate them. So you could see all the moves in the charging document where Freeman was acting as a defense attorney, not as a prosecutor. And so, you know, he's um, like characterizing uh, George Floyd basically in these racist tropes of like, you know, well, he was very big and black, you know, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that doesn't make it okay to kill. Like the way that he wrote it, it was like, oh, these police officers, like they did something that was understandable in the context. Of, so we can't really do anything about it. Gee, we'll just have to let them go. And it's like, no, these are the decisions that lost community trust, that he was so widely recognized as untrustworthy by the community that he had to farm these things out. And, you know, we deserve someone who's accountable to us as citizens of Hennepin County. That's like a basic expectation of democracy. Let's talk about violent crime. Yeah. Violent crime is up across the country, across jurisdictions with different prosecutors, different philosophies from progressive to conservative. And it feels like we're at the mercy of larger cultural forces right now. Pandemic impacts to our way of life, easy availability of guns. At the same time, police in Minneapolis are solving 15% of murders, 15% of carjackings, uh, and police chiefs have pointed the finger at prosecutors, ranging from Mike Freeman to John Choi, who are different prosecutors with different policies, Mm -hmm. and yet they face the same criticism. Uh, Which is my long lead up to the question, is there a meaningful distinction between the candidates and how they would prosecute violent crime what is a prosecutor's role in keeping people safe? Can we do better? And, you know, there, that's my question. I read the whole thing. I prepared it ahead of time. That's the only question I prepared ahead of time. Okay. But I, well, I'm, having a, I'm having a hard time getting the candidates to, like, to, to open up and, like, make distinctions there. Well, no. Because I think we, do, we see carjacking victims on TV, and I'm like, I feel, I feel very badly, and I want everyone to be safe. And so, uh, I, I think Mary Moriarty, public defender Mary Moriarty, would still prosecute violent crimes. I think she still would. She's not going to disband the Hennepin County Attorney's Office. So what what is the distinction there? Yeah. 
So I'm surprised to hear you say that you're not, you didn't notice the distinction because I watched your interviews with, um, with, with all of them. Um, but there are kind of three that are running under this like progressive, uh, you know, progressive prosecutor, like that's what I want to be, like mantle. And I would say those three are Mary and Sarswati and Simon, right? Like those are the three. And you asked this question to all of them. And, um, you know, the way that you framed it was like, what's true? Is it true that the problem is prosecutors not charging enough? Or is it true that, or is, are the police just, you know, trying to deflect? And what was really interesting about those comparing those three, right, the people who are supposedly like on the progressive side of this continuum, is that both Sarswati and Simon said, well, it's probably a little bit of both, right? Which mm-hmm. says that they think that the problem is, at least in part, that we're not charging hard enough. And there's no evidence that that's the case, right? In fact, like when you look around the country at where the like rises in violent crime have been the highest, they're in these Republican cities and Republican controlled states um, where the ch- they charge harder than everyone, right? Like there's no, the connection is not there. And I think what was really great about Mary's answer was she was like, I'd actually have to look at data to see if it supports that. And the fact is, it doesn't. I think that one of the things that like we care a lot about in people over prosecution is um, moving beyond this idea that you know if you just punish hard enough, your people will stop committing harm in in society because that's just that doesn't work. We have decades and decades of evidence that that doesn't work. And I say this as a political scientist, like speaking just for myself right now, not as the organization, like we have decades of evidence that this does not work. It's really effective for mobilizing white voters, which is why we do it, because that's, you know, politicians want white people to vote for them so they can get into power. Um, But there's no evidence that this is effective. And one of the reasons that we um, are so excited about Mary Moriarty is because like us, she's very inspired by Danielle Sered's work. And I don't know if you've read Danielle Sered. She has a book that is called Until We Reckon. And it's about um, how we deal with violent crime in this country. And a lot of people, they're like, oh, we should have restorative justice when it's not violent crime. But actually what she does is she's looking at restorative justice approaches even in cases of violent crime not all violent crimes. So there are some limits, like, you know, she doesn't do it in murder cases and sexual, like sexual assault cases and stuff like that. But for other kinds of violent crimes, she actually does do that process. And the reason that that process is so successful is it because it deals with the fact, it deals honestly with the fact that most of the folks who have commit, who commit violent crimes have also been victims of violent crimes. Like this is about cycles of trauma and violence. And you you end those cycles by addressing the underlying trauma and focusing on repair. And that doesn't feel good to people who want vengeance, who want to see people suffer for their actions. Like if that's your approach, um, it's not going to feel good, but it actually gets to more community safety. Danielle Sered, I think it's something like 7% of the folks who go through her prob- her, pro- or her process end up reoffending. That's insane. That's a crazy low number. I mean, compared to the folks who are, have their recidivism rates of prison, that is, I mean, minuscule. And so we know, like, when we look at what actually gets us to safety, 
we're never going to punish our way out of it. We're never going to get there with prisons. And Mary Moriarty is the only candidate who hasn't said, oh, yeah, well, at least some we should be prosecuting more. Like, that's important. That's a distinction. And so, you know, for me watching your podcast, it was real clear the differences between the three of them. Well, as I said before, I, I have a hard time paying attention to anyone's answers. I didn't hear anything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Uh, I, I was watching the TV news sometime this year, probably, and they... I'm surprised they, they spoke to like a criminal justice academic or someone who, and I've heard this said a few times, not just by this person, that it's not so much about the the severity of punishment, ramping up the punishments higher and higher. It's it's about like the certainty that they'll, there will be accountability for that person. And so like when we have 15% rate of solving murders or, or carjackings, well, we basically, we have no shot of doing anything with the violent crime we have because and the police just aren't solving them. No, and they don't really, they're not really showing any interest because they don't respect our community. They don't respect us. They don't really, I mean, they don't care fundamentally. They're a bunch of people who don't live here, who have contempt for <laughs> our city and our values. And, um, you know, the, they're, doing sick outs and work stoppages and um and i don't know that we're any worse off without them frankly um they weren't solving the, they weren't solving crimes before they were doing all this sick out and ptsd leave and all this stuff there this this was happening before that it's still happening now are we qualitatively worse i don't know it's one of, one of the we're going to end on a down note that's one of the our inability to deal with our mpd problem is just uh the, the money suck in addition to the consequences of of the, the the how bad they are at their jobs yeah and what i don't understand you know the department of justice has been here how long investigating them like how much evidence do you need <laughs> like truly how, how like how have you got collected all the things you need yet cuz it seems pretty clear these these folks are not accountable no one can stop them from their behavior they are world famous for being white supremacist <laughs> i mean like and violent like those are the things that they are known around the world for being and how long can the De department of justice keep this investigation going it's going to be a real bombshell one of the things that so the after action report that recently came out yeah. uh the city contracted for it's like there's a lot of horrible detail in there about uh, mismanagement at MPD mostly kind of excuse some of the individual officer conduct it made it seem like it was a, a management problem but even so it's like wow Rondo's MPD was a disaster not not very well managed and also it felt like but we already knew this we're not finding out new things we're just organizing all the the same old things into a new a new report to be released yeah. And uh, when, when do we move on to the business of, of fixing it well, instead of waiting for the next report to drop? When we elect Mary Moriarty and she starts holding these Minneapolis police officers accountable. Which is her springboard to run for mayor in 2025. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is all about No, politics. we're going to need her. It's going to take her some time to clean up the Hennepin County Attorney's Office. We're going to need her there for a while. Have we missed anything? Any candidates you want to trash? 
No, I mean... Get one last, get one last dig in <laughs> on Martha Holton Dimmick. Look, <laughs> man, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Just wildly okay. unfit. Okay, I agree. Yeah. So this has been the Wedge Life. Oh, I'm losing my voice here an hour and five minutes in. I'm going to take a drink and then I'll close out the show. I like that you have your own branded mugs for your show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. My guest has been Kathleen Cole from the organization People Over Prosecution. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. This has been the Wedge Live Podcast. I'm your host, John Edwards. Thank you for listening. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now.